0: reading tonight comes from Exodus chapter 3, reading the first 20 verses, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came into Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought... I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to remember from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel, and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go.
1: We continue to reflect on the story of the Exodus and we pick up the reading of Psalm 105, beginning at verse 23, which summarises the following chapters in Exodus. Then Israel entered Egypt, and Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful, he made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he chosen, and they performed his miraculous signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark, for had they not rebelled against his words? He turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of their rulers, He spoke and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He turned their rain into hail with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in their land, ate up the produce of their soil. Then, He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their manhood. He brought out Israel laden with silver and gold, and from among their tribes no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left, because dread of Israel had fallen on them.
2: Um, We're going to continue our service with the next reading from Exodus chapter 12. Verses 29 to 36. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed, and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favourably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians.
1: We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord, our God, took us out from there with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. If the Holy One, blessed be he, had not taken our fathers out of Egypt, then we, our children, and our children's children, would have remained enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. Every year, Jews recite those words as part of the annual celebration of Passover. Reflecting on what might have been, on what would have been, had God not stepped in to rescue them. Deeply ingrained into their consciousness is this tracing back of their national identity to the events of Exodus. Without God, they would have remained slaves of the Egyptians forever. The Passover meal reminds them all, everyone taking part, of the grace and the power that God showed in delivering his people and of their consequent indebtedness to him and reliance upon him. For Jews who celebrate it, this annual meal reminds them, this is who we are. This is where we came from. This is the God to whom we belong. There are three main elements to the meal each one of which is explained as part of the Passover Seder or liturgy in response to a prompting question asked by the youngest person present. The Passover lamb is eaten as a Passover offering to the Lord because he passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians with a plague and he saved their houses. The Israelites were instructed, each one, to to have a, a... A lamb that they were to look after until the 14th day of the month it was a lamb to be without defect or blemish then the lamb would be slaughtered at twilight and they would take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they ate the lambs and they were to eat it that night, the meat roasted uh, not leaving any part of it till morning if any part was left till morning they were to to burn it and that night when the angel of death Passed through the land of Egypt every household which had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lintels was passed over and people within those houses were spared it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians the second part of the meal is the matzah which is a bit like Rivita bread baked without yeast, eaten because, as they say, the dough of our fathers did not have time to become leavened before the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, revealed himself to them and redeemed them. And on the back of Passover they celebrate the the festival of unleavened bread for seven days, eating nothing with leaven in it, to remind them how they had to leave in haste that night before the, the bread in their ovens had time to rise. Thus it is said, they baked matzah cakes from the dough they brought out of Egypt because it wasn't leavened. For they'd been driven out of Egypt and couldn't delay and they hadn't prepared any other provisions. And the bitter herbs? They're eaten because the Egyptians embittered our fathers' lives in Egypt. As it is said, they made their lives bitter with hard service, with mortar and bricks and with all manner of service in the field. All their service which then made them serve with rigour. And then the Seder continues. In every generation, a person is obliged to regard himself as if he had come out of Egypt. As it is said, you shall tell your child on that day, it's because of this that the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. The Holy One, blessed be he, redeemed not only our fathers from Egypt, but he redeemed also us with them. As this said, it was us that he brought out from there, so that he might bring us to give us the land that he swore to our fathers. Such is the level of identification that they are to regard themselves as people who were set free from Egypt by the Lord that night in his act of deliverance. And everyone who celebrates Passover that way has a strong sense of identification with the generation that was set free by God from enforced slavery and attempted genocide when Pharaoh decreed that every baby boy should be drowned into the River Nile. For that reason, perhaps, recognizing the evil nature of their plight, Jews who celebrate Passover can accept with relatively few qualms The story of the ten plagues that came on Egypt when Pharaoh refused to let the people go. Plagues that culminated in the death of the firstborn. Plague that the Israelites avoided by killing the Passover lamb and placing the blood of that lamb on the doorposts and lintels of the houses where where they lived. We may struggle with that a little bit more. It is a terrible story. But it's a terrible story from beginning to end. The entire nation of Egypt connived in the killing of the Israelite baby boys. The entire nation was complicit in the enslavement of the nation whom God regarded as his own firstborn son. It was Pharaoh's of stubbornness that resulted in the ten plagues. Do such considerations justify the killing of the Egyptian firstborn? We still may have serious crimes and reservations about that. And the extent to which we do, I guess, is a measure of the extent to which it's, it's not our story in the same way as this for the Jews. We don't have that sense of, this was us. This could have been me. This was our plight, And God set us free from it. Victims of genocide themselves, they can see how God acted to set them free in the face of opposition from Pharaoh. It's not our fathers who were enslaved or our children who were drowned in the the Nile. And if we can't identify with the nation who suffered in this way, then we can't celebrate Passover in the manner in which Israel does when they reflect on their deliverance from Egypt. And yet while there is that distance from the Passover for us, it remains true that the God who did such things is the God whom we worship. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Exodus, the God of the plagues, the God of Israel. And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We recognise that this same God is the one who gave up his one and only son for us all. His son was killed by us to bear the sins of the world. Sending his son into the world, knowing we would bruise him and smite him from the earth, in the words of Tim Cullen's song. God himself is not immune to the pain of losing his son. Not that that means that we can automatically accept the death of the firstborn in Egypt with equanimity, as if God losing his son gives him the right to kill the firstborn in every family in Egypt but it does mean that God himself knows the pain of that bereavement. And Christ died for the sins of the Egyptians as much as he died for the sins of the whole world. If the death of the firstborn is God's judgment on the nation of Egypt for their sin, it's a judgment he himself bears in the death of his firstborn son for the sin of the world. So we read the story in a very different way to Jews who identify with the nation who come out of Egypt, but who don't believe in Jesus. But inasmuch as the God of the Exodus is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and we are his people, this story is our story too. It's the same God who saved us through the death of the firstborn, but his firstborn, his own son, given up to death on the cross, to save us from sin and death and hell and destruction. And we remember as well the way in which Jesus reinterpreted this story on the night before he died. There's some debate as whether Jesus and his disciples celebrated the official Passover that night, but it seems that they followed the traditional Passover ritual, whatever form it took in those days. Yet Jesus introduced two new elements – into the Passover saviour, took the bread, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. The bread would have been unleavened in the memory of the way in which Israelites had to leave Egypt in such a hurry that their bread had no time to rise in the ovens. And over the years, that ritual of, of cleansing all leaven out of the house, came to be seen as as representing the removal of sin and uncleanness from the home. The unleavened bread that Jesus broke represented not just his body, but his (coughs) sinless body. Like that of a lamb without blemish or defect. The sinless one being given up for the sins of the world his body broken for our sin. And when we come to share in this bread in a few minutes' time, in eating the bread, we make it personal. Christ died for my sin. He forgives me. He puts me right with God. He loves me enough to lay down his life for me. He's my saviour. And we affirm that that giving of his life for us is fundamental to our identity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When we eat this bread, we declare, I am someone for whom Christ gave his life. I am someone whom Christ has redeemed, not from enslavement to some foreign power, but from death itself and from the sin that enslaves us all, irrespective of our nationality or social status. This bread says, Jesus gave his life to be my saviour. And when I eat the bread, I affirm that I believe that. Lord, forgive my sin. Lord, put me right with God. Lord, I give my life to you. And the other alteration that Jesus made to the Passover liturgy was to say over the cup of wine after the meal that the wine was his blood of the covenant poured out for many. And again, this is about deliverance from death was the blood of the Passover lamb placed on the lintel of that home, save the Israelites from the angel of death. So we recognise that the blood of Jesus, which represents his life given up in death for us, atones for our sin, sets us free, secures our own rescue from death, his gift of eternal life to us. The wine represents his life given for us. His life given to us. Christ died for me to give me eternal life. And it's the blood of the covenant because in eating and drinking we are bound together as people who belong to God. He is our God. We are his people. He loves us. He forgives us. He accepts us. And we pledge ourselves to live for him. We eat the bread and drink the wine to declare that the story of Jesus is my story. We together are the people for whom Christ died. He is the Lord for whom we live our lives. And it's not just about doing this in anticipation of going to heaven when we die, or even of his eventual return in glory as the judge and saviour of the world. It's about living for him now. The death of Jesus broke the mould of human existence. Before Jesus, the universal unbroken pattern was that everybody sins and everybody dies. Then Jesus comes. Flesh and blood, human being who lived 100% God's way, even at the cost of his own life. And he's raised from death the third day. Death then is no longer the ultimate inevitable conclusion to human existence because Jesus has broken that mould. Sin is no longer universal, the unavoidable pattern of human behaviour because Jesus has broken that mould. Jesus rescues us from sin and death so that we can live differently for him here and now and ultimately forever. God's rescue plan. The cost of The death of his own son to give us life, represented here in bread and wine. A meal that Jesus instituted that Passover night with his disciples. The Passover lamb was the means of liberating the Israelites from Egyptian servitude. Jesus sets us free as well. Free from death and the fear of death. Because his death and resurrection have secured eternal life for all who belong to him. Free from sin and the guilt and shame that come in sin's wake because we know that he bore our sin and its consequences on the cross and we are no longer trapped in a pattern of moral failure. We're free from other people's expectations because we live our lives with Jesus as Lord. We're free from crippling insecurity because we know his love in our hearts and his presence in our lives. We're free to make good decisions because the love of Christ controls us and his spirit writes his law in our hearts and guides us in our decision making. Jesus' death sets us free to be God's Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and of wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth.